0: Hello, Yaki and Jason. Chatbots and voice assistants are a very important tool, especially in healthcare nowadays, and sometimes a good chatbot can make a difference in people's lives. Planned Parenthood, for example, won a Webby Award for the Chatbot True, and we got Ambrin Molitor, Senior Director of Product Digital Products collab at Planned Parenthood Federation of America. How are you, Ambrin?
1: I'm well, thank you. How are you, Erin?
0: I'm fine. Thanks very much. Uh, First of all, how much impact did you have about True's conversation design?
1: Yeah, um, it's a great question. So one thing to note is that our AI is actually powered by a third-party software system. But um, as many folks know who do maintain AI, um, it is not just like a a thing that you build out and leave it. a bit and it works itself. There's a lot of maintenance that goes into it. There's also um, a lot of, in terms of training the software um, to continue to answer pro- uh, responses and um, it questions that are relevant and changing through time and research, but also trying to figure out how we present that information too, right? So I would say, although the software itself is built from a third party platform, there are two elements in terms of how we train the bot. One is a lot of the way and manner in which people ask questions and how we respond is fielded through um, gaining conversations that we're having in a separate product that we have, which is called Chat Text, which allows educators to have conversations one-on-one through text or like a, a, a widget on, on our web page where a user can ask a trained educator all kinds of questions. And that conversation helps field the manner, the tone, the types of questions that the AI will know um, in terms of understanding the sentiment um, and, and creating that sentiment analysis and just sort of proactively understanding where this question is getting at. The second format that we have is we actually look at the conversations almost on a daily basis. And what we're doing there is, we have a team that looks at the conversations, looks at all the, the false positives, all the questions that are answered in, inaccurately. And we also look at questions that we know have been answered correctly and just kind of gut check to make sure that they still are relevant um, or accurate or if there's any medical research that needs to be updated. So there, that is con- part of the constant form of you know, the high satisfaction uh, value that we get from users when they engage with the bot and then I, the other part of the piece, which I think helped garner so much love from users and love from the industry is the, if you've, if you've engaged with Roo, we've stripped all the sort of like uh, UI and UX elements that you normally see when you're engaging in a text messaging or a bot, uh, uh. Uh, experience and that is because we've skinned the front end completely and totally um, so it, it's it's a lot more delightful and there's animation and just a lot of ways that we trigger like a personality for Rue to come out um, and I think not only through the design but also in the way that Rue talks to the user when um, Rue answers their questions which is you know it's a very welcoming inviting Uh, way of responding rather than just sort of like a binary (laughs) medically accurate answer that a user gets. And so I think that element of just making sure the presentation of like a text exchange feels a little bit like a conversation with someone um, that they can trust or like enjoy talking to um, helps facilitate that. So I would say, again, like although the 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 power uh, of the AI as a third-party service, the maintain maintaining and making sure that the um, accuracy rate is all internal, and then like the presentation, which I think makes up for so much of the love that we get for it. Um, we've also built, um, you know, on our own as well.
0: Uh, let's go to the beginning. What inspired you to build Drew?
1: Originally, it started from uh, just sort of observing like a a change in how the United States was thinking about sex education. So when Rue first started, there were 29 states that um, mandated sex education and only 13 of those 29 states um, required that information to be medically accurate. Um, At the same time, I think the other thing that was happening is that we were observing in a lot of sex education curriculum, it continued to follow like this heteronormative um, format, which you know is not reflective of how society is today. And so what we wanted to do is respond to that um, in a meaningful manner. And then the other thing we started doing, um, you know, that combination of like actually observing some uh, behavioral changes that we were seeing amongst our younger demographics. So we were seeing um, at the time when Rue, when we were thinking about Rue, which is, almost, it's almost, yeah, over two and a half years ago, if not longer, um, we were noticing a huge spike in the teen section of our website. There are a lot of people going in and asking questions. Um, we were also observing through, um, you know, uh, academic research that um, we were finding that 84% of teens were finding sexual health information online, which actually I think is a healthy habit, right? To be proactive in learning. I think the, the issue there, the nuance there is that there's a lot of misinformation on the internet as well. You know, so um, making sure that we were able to address both of those um, issues in, and in a positive light, right? And not change behavior in terms of how people consume or look for that information, but get them closer to as medically accurate um, information and welcoming information um, as possible so you know the combination of looking at policies that were changing in sex education in the united states combined with behavioral change that we're seeing in teens and how they obtained information was something that provoked the idea of rue and how we came into figuring out that rue is like a particularly useful format to do it in an ai powered chatbot um experience is going a a level deeper in terms of observing teen behavior. So we did a lot of focus groups. We researched, again, a combination of academic research and looking at users in the, um, you know, that are teens actually and like going to junior high schools um, in the United States and monitoring their habits and seeing, you know, getting to familiarize ourselves with how they're not only obtaining that information, but how they're communicating in general. And what we found is that teens, I mean, even myself and I'm not a teen, we you know we open our cell phones about 75 to 95 times a day and the majority of the time it's actually in a messaging format some sort of one to one messaging so that was something that we found really really provoking and the research that we were seeing is that people were, are communicating or conversing in like a new method it's no longer our assumption was everyone is always on social media and like, you know, kind of going through feeds and consuming and and participating in that. But that's actually not the reality of what we were observing, especially with teens. Um, They really rely or um, find themselves to be more expressive and more communicative when it's one-to-one. I think the other thing we were hearing from teens is that when they, you know, when they were obtaining sexual health information, privacy and being anonymous was really important to them. And so, like I specifically remember um, a teenager that we were talking to who mentioned that, you know, they Google stuff, but they're very cognizant of the fact that, um, you know, Google can cookie that, or you can, anyone that's using the same laptop or computer can cookie that. So their parents can find out, like tech companies can find out. Um, And it was important for them to, to know that if they ask the question, no one would like be able to surface that. And so with Roo, you're able to ask the question and what's great about it is once you close, you know, the URL, there's no thread, which is different from a text messaging uh, format where you have like the thread history. So, you know, all of those things combined essentially got us to the place where we are at today, which is, you know, let's build a solution that helps users feel safe, teens specifically feel safe to ask questions in the format that they're already looking for information, um, and allow that information to be medically accurate and inclusive, and be able to um, for someone to you know um, access that information at any given moment. So just you know hitting all of those bullet points to get to the place we are at today is essentially you know the the birth of Roo.
0: <laughs> It Also, looks like uh, teens are are less afraid or. more more used to speak with bots, with chatbots, than like the elderly.
1: When we created the first prototype for Roo, they loved the fact that it was anonymous, right? I, I think they liked it that it was a bot versus talking to a trained educator because they felt like if, even if they asked this weird question, some human on the other side would probably, probably be judging them and being like, okay, this person is weird. And so I think, this barrier of talking to a bot helped alleviate that nervousness of like I have a really random question and you know for teens they think it's a random question we know through data like most of the time people are asking the same questions but I think it also enhanced the experience in that way as well for yeah. for teens.
0: Okay, um, describe the designing the flow and reviewing the logs. How often do you do it?
1: Sure. Yeah. So we review the logs almost daily, as I mentioned before, um, and a, a lot of that is looking at ways to determine again, you know, to continue to build our accuracy rate to be able to look at a trend, something that's topical and relevant, and we're able to answer it within that moment versus waiting many, many months out or even days out. Right? We're able to respond in real time when like something topical happens. Um, the other reason for that is that i think it helps us keep a pulse check on like any sort of changes that are happening in sex education and like helps us understand what people are really wanting to know um in terms of the curriculum and and things we're starting to do is figuring out ways that we can like bridge that graph a gap and like help um you know sex ed curriculum sort of be modernized through like learning about what people are asking um so examples are like you know, consent is something that a lot of people um, are asking about. Is you know, how do I ask someone out? Um, they don't literally say how, what what is consent or you know how do I ask for it, but they're asking essentially um, what is the format of it, and that is you know through the the influence of you know what they're probably reading in media of you know the Me Too movement and just making sure they're they're respectful in the way that they're expressing themselves. Um, and I think that's that's a really mature way of showing like teens are maturing and they're actually taking in um, societal change but also mature and that you know it's nice to know that people are being proactive and trying to figure out what is the right way to do something respectfully
0: okay because of the sensitive nature of these issues uh, what language considerations uh, did you have to make
1: Oh so so many several um, I, we could start with like the 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 format and how we gain uh, or garner the understanding of a question, right? So how, how do we take a question and dissect it and get to the heart of it? So the first thing is like, there are nuances, right? So uh, when someone asks how, um, you know, how, how do I make love versus how do I, how do I have sex or how do I have sex for the first time? can be the same question, but the heart of it or the sentiment of it is quite different. And so those are examples of how we like train the bot. The other thing, which I think is a really funny one is um, I think through so much data we have analyzed when someone is posing as a teen, like through (laughs) and asking a question versus a teen asking themselves. And like one good example I could give you is um, like a lot of people ask about basically how, if, can I have sex for the first time before marriage? Or is it okay to, you know, be sexually active before marriage? And you can tell that's an adult asking that because a teenager is probably for the first time going into a relationship or for the first time in their social circle has been exposed to someone in a relationship. So the questions they're probably asking is, how do I ask someone out? Or when's the what's the average age to lose your virginity? Like they're not even thinking about marriage, right? So like that sort of milestone is not in their psyche. So off the bat, you can tell like someone, someone disguised as a teen is asking that. So that's something we we have trained and we can understand that, okay, this is an adult and we can answer it, um, we, you know, we answer it regardless. But um, those sorts of nuances help us understand who that user is behind the scenes. Um, I think the other thing we, we do is use this opportunity to educate folks. So, um, if there's uh, someone that is asking about, um, uh, like, they're curious about something, we're able to use that opportunity to literally answer that question and educate them a little bit. Um, and then we also use this education piece to course correct, right? So, if someone asks, what is a her- hermaphrodite? That's actually outdated language um, and offensive language. So we answer the question, but we say, this is actually an outdated term and it's, it's more appropriate to use the terminology intersex. Um, the other thing we do is a lot around making sure that this is a respectful place. So we do not tolerate bullying or um, you know offensive language. And similarly to the education piece, what we try to do is you know hand off and say like this is actually language that's really offensive. We do not tolerate it. I'm happy to answer your question if you ask it in another way. Um, so that those are like it's it's getting to the heart of like what people are asking and getting to know the user. Um, it's using this format to help educate the user. And I think the third piece that we we also do is figuring out ways um, through nuanced language when we know that this question is actually not helpful if a bot answers it so for instance if there's a question around what's the best birth control method for me you know rue responds to answers in the ballpark area of 280 tweets we're not going to be able to answer that in such a short (laughs) and such a short format but also most importantly it's a personal decision and it's best to talk to like a trained um, educator to help really facilitate and helping someone answer that question. Other things like when, they're, when there are words where they're talking about like um, anxiety or mental health, that's a trigger for Rue to know that um, that's actually best suited for, you know, another organization. So we, we, we use this opportunity for Rue to say, you know, it seems like you need to talk to someone and on top of you know, our chat text edu- educators are educated in the realm of sexual and reproductive health, but there are other organizations that are trained um, professionals in mental health, so we you know, link them out to that. Um, so we're trying to figure out ways to understand when like, this is the limitation of the bot or this is not appropriate for the bot to continue uh, to respond to those questions.
0: What surprises you the most about the user's input or behavior?
1: The most surprising thing for us has always just been how, you know, how teams are very proactive and, and I think going into it for like in the in the first first years, our hypothesis for Rue was just that all the questions are gonna be binary, right? Like it's like, is it this or is Perfect. it that? Or how do we do this? And I think um, when users are coming to ask us what they want, what they should do or what they want to do. That's actually a value judgments question, right? It's not binary and there's no right or wrong answer. So it's a matter of letting them know, first of all, that it's, you know, this question is a great question. Um, whatever you decide is like uh, we respect and it's normal to have, you know, the flexibility to decide on your own. But I think the, the surprising thing is, you know, um, a lot of questions around sexual health are around their, you know, getting to their values and judgments, um, which is not binary at all.
0: Would you consider making it even more conversational, maybe even a voice skill?
1: Absolutely. We're looking at ways to um, have Rube become more conversational. We're exploring that, um, you know, in in the upcoming months. And that's, you know, an opportunity, like the the example that I gave around um, helping Folks get to the heart of like what birth, co- birth control method is right for them. There's a lot of decision making questions there where it, it doesn't, um, you know, we hit our limitation, as I mentioned, once we get to the 280 character limit. But if there's a dialogue that happens, that's when we can start answering questions, you know, in a more personalized fashion, even more custom. So, yeah, absolutely, we're getting, we're eager to get there and we're getting into like the discovery and research phase of that um, at this moment.
0: What is it like uh, winning a uh, Webby for Chatbot?
1: Oh, so humbling! So humbling.
0: <laughs> okay, where do you see healthcare and AI uh, in five years from now, three years from now?
1: Mm. You know, we're optimists um, about this question, and 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 that you know, I see AI becoming a, a tool that helps empower users to educate themselves about their bodies. Right? It helps them. Um, self-diagnose or understand symptoms that they're having that are off so that they can get to a trained clinician or an educator faster, right? Um, rather than getting to the state where it's very reactive and something has changed or something has happened and the education happens backwards, pro, you know, uh, reactively. So I feel like AI is a great component that allows people to um, intelligently and quickly get answers to their questions faster rather than like working through this whole sort of matrix in their head of like, I need to answer this question. Should I book an appointment? Do I have the time to do it? I need to block this, you know, like there's so much um, preparation that goes into that versus, you know, just logging into our URL, like going to Roo um, and asking this question. So I think there's optimism in that that accessibility factor and the, the quickness and agility of being able to answer that question. I think there's also just this, you know, if there's anything we've learned in 2020, um, there's several learnings. I think technology has made things a lot more accessible. I feel like, um, again, going back to that example, where um, prior to like all of this in- innovation that we're, we're starting to see in the telehealth arena, if you wanted to get care the the norm was to go to, physically go to a clinic, block that time off, um, and get that service. And we're seeing now that you could do it, you know very um, it, it opens up opportunities for, you know, uh, individuals, men and women, um, and you know anyone in in their arena that needs sexual and reproductive health care service, people in general, um, to be able to access that care quickly without burdening their their day-to-day routine. Um, and I think it's able, it's enabling people to get, um, you know, the internet is easier to access um, in the United States than healthcare. You know, yeah. so I think there's uh, an opportunity there in the equitability that AI can bring um, to to our community that we haven't been able to see um, in a very long time. And again, I think we're starting to see the fruits of that labor come into 2020, where like um, technology has made that a, a lot more accessible in, in many ways.
0: For sure. So thank you very much, Brian Molitor, Senior Director of Product, Digital Product Collab at Planned Parenthood Federation of America. It, again. <laughs> uh, it was fascinating and so amazing to hear from you. And thanks very much.
1: Yeah, thank you. Have a good right. one.
0: Thank you. And back to you, Yaki and Jason.